Good evening, Mosaic. Glad to be here tonight and glad to see you all here. My name is Sarah Blanchard and my husband, Will, and our three daughters have been a part of Mosaic for about four years now. And we get to serve Mosaic by uh, hosting a community group and I get to be on the kids team and the prayer team and the worship team. And I'm gonna kick off the service by reading our joy prayer as we continue through our Advent series. So read along with me. Who is this king who came to a world that was in desperate search of purpose? to be the fulfillment of our joy. Who is this king, this king of compassion and delight, who came to wake us up to the joy of knowing him? Jesus, king of joy. Thank you, Jesus, for freeing us to know you, for the confidence that there is truly no other, for the intricacies of your heart that you have for us to joyfully discover. We draw near to you, Jesus, and right here we will remain. Because you, Christ, are our joy, and we come alive in the shadow of your wings. Unsteady are the days we face. Like shifting shadows, they will change. You knew we'd experience beauty, but you also knew we'd be met by deep pain. So, King Jesus, when we're weary in the trial, when worldly happiness takes leave, we'll come to you, shepherd of our soul, to give thanks and to sing. We'll submit to you in worship, our forever worthy King. We'll celebrate your goodness. We'll dance, we'll shout, we'll sing. Though it's hard to press on when the night feels long, we'll take joy because you have not changed. You are still good. You are still worthy of your name. Jesus, our good news, you have sealed inexpressible and glorious joy in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and it will not be stolen. Oh, the joy of Christ dwelling with us today. Oh, the joy of anticipating your return. Oh, the joy of an eternity with you. Jesus, King of joy, thank you for coming. You're changing everything. Well, let's stand and sing of the great joy that we have because our Lord has come to us. Let's sing together. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven.
you all can take a seat. Hey, Ashley's gonna come up and tell us about some things going on in our church family that you can jump in on. Well, hey, good evening, Mosaic. My name is Ashley Covert. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, I work on staff here. I'm our communications coordinator. Um, that is probably my favorite rendition of Joy to the World, so I hope it blessed your soul the way it blessed mine. If you are not coming into the room joyful, maybe there's some sorrow or some grief happening, we are still so grateful that you're here and that you can lean on family and share that with us. Um, so that being said, we are gonna jump into some announcements. Um, First thing, I know spring break is ways away, a whole next year away, but um, our students have some really cool opportunities. Um, if you are interested in knowing what those are and learning ways that you can partner with our FSM Mosaic uh, students, you can head to that QR code, it'll take you to the news page and you can see the trips that we have going on uh, and along with ways to be praying for those teams and if you feel led to partner with them financially. So that link will take you there. Next, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, you probably saw our video about the gift and our end of year giving and our opportunity to give back to God in this holiday season. Uh, if you didn't, you can follow that link and it'll take you to it. Um, but if the Lord is laying it on your heart to give, would you consider the gift? Um, with both of those things, a little bit of housekeeping, if you plan on doing any end of year giving and are keeping record of those things financially, if you want your gift to count towards this year, it needs to be submitted by midnight, 1231. Okay, housekeeping done. Um, next thing, uh, quite a few of you have asked about the songs that we've been singing through this Advent series, and our fellowship worship team has a Spotify page, and so we've pulled together a worship playlist, so you can check that out if you are interested. <sighs> Last bit, Christmas at Fellowship. Uh, it is here, we are doing it. Um, but Christmas Eve, we are going to have five services. And if you head to that website for Christmas at Fellowship, you'll be able to see the times that we have going on and you'll be able to reserve a seat. Now, if you don't reserve a seat and you show up, you are going to be welcomed with arms wide open. But because we have five services going on that day, it will just help us prepare numbers wise as to who's going to be when and where. Uh, you'll also be able to find our Advent devos that have been happening daily uh, along with Christmas morning plans if, you, if your family's coming Christmas morning. Okay, Whew. the end. Now we are going to move back into worship and we're going to read our offering prayer. So if you guys would read this out loud with me. Oh Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, Multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing together. And we're gonna sing a song that uh, my guess is a lot of you have heard before, have grown up singing. And uh, one of the things I love about the Christmas season is I get to sing songs uh, that I've grown up with things that I've known for decades. And it's it, whether we're singing something we know really, really well or something that's new, the temptation in both to blast through words without thinking is there. So there's no, no prejudice on either side of that. But I wanna talk a little bit about this song, The First Noel. Uh, the word Noel is really just the French word for Christmas, but it carries with it the idea of the announcement, the announcement of Christmas. 
And I love the way this song has been written because what the verses do is they tell the story of the first announcement of Christmas. That's what the first Noel is all about. That first Christmas when Christ was born and when the announcement was made that Jesus is here. But the choruses take on a different purpose because the chorus, the refrain, is no longer telling about the first Noel. It's us announcing the good news that born is the king of Israel. And that's what we do at Christmas. We, we dance back and forth between remembering the story of what happened 2,000 years ago and celebrating the truth today that our God, our King, has taken on flesh and walked among us. So when we sing the verses, we tell the story. When we reach the chorus, we announce the good news. And I encourage you, as we're, we're singing this good news that born is the King of Israel, maybe there's someone that you have in mind that really needs to hear that right now. Maybe it's you. Uh, maybe you need to sing those words, proclaiming the good news that your king is not far away, but he knows what it's like to be you. Or maybe you need to sing in prayer to the Lord for the person you know who needs to know that God is with us, Emmanuel. So let's sing the first Noel together.
church.
welcome Steve and Desiree Weber to come light our Advent candle and, and read our passage of scripture over us tonight. Well, good evening, Fellowship Mosaic. It's so good for us to be here. As Nick said, this is Desiree Weber. My name is Steve, otherwise known maybe as Desiree's husband. And we have three children. It's hard to believe Taylor and Jacob are college graduates recently. And our daughter, Becca, hard to believe as well, is a senior in high school. As we prepare to light the shepherd's candle of joy this evening, I'm just so thankful for the joy that we have in serving in fellowship, whether it's on the elder board and community group with the chosen ministry or prayer. It gives us such great joy to be a part of this body. So join with me as we read our scripture for this evening, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of all the Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. This is the word of the Lord, and God's people said, hey, good to be with you tonight. How are you? Good. Hey, my name's Colin. I get to serve with our small group ministry. Here, I also get to serve. I get to co-lead a community group up in Bentonville with my wife and Ashley Covert, who's up here just a little bit ago, and uh, I also get to serve on our teaching, here, uh, teaching team here at Mosaic, and tonight, I have the joy of teaching on joy, and uh, I have three movements for us tonight. First, hold up a one with me, a parable, a simple story for us to connect around and kind of circle this idea of joy. Two, a pattern, something we see there in the scriptures. And then third, a practice. So, hey, lean to the person next to you. And when you think of joy, what first comes to mind? This is a communal experience. Go ahead. What comes to mind, to go ahead and just tell some of the folks next to you, you can engage in some conversation here. What comes to mind when you think of joy? Good. I regularly think of excitement, happiness, right? Like the loud kind of like, ah, like rejoice kind of thing, you know? But Webster's Dictionary actually does a really good job of capturing the biblical idea. Webster says that joy is a noun, is a source of or cause of delight, well-being, or good fortune because you have something you desire. That's a really good definition. Delight, well-being, good fortune because you have something you desire. As a verb, it's something you, you do. It's to experience and express great pleasure in something or someone. Those are pretty good definitions, aren't they? 
And first, a, a parable. My wife and I recently, um, or not my wife, I recently had my joy stolen. So in the center of the circle behind me is the last place that I saw my iPhone in the city of Paris. Three days into our trip, my wife and I paid for this trip before COVID. So we were like excited to get over there. The kids had Thanksgiving break out of school. So we were like, let's go to Paris. And so we went. We took our seven-year-old and our five-year-old and it was beautiful. It was amazing. And this was day three of the trip, which was my day to plan out what we're gonna do. And guess what Bible nerd theologian Colin wanted to do? Go sit in a bunch of old ancient cathedrals and parishes and pray. And we had a blast, actually. It was, it was truly fun and so life-giving. I mean, we're walking into all these different places where God's people have gathered. And sometimes there's still an active parish there and other times there's not. And I'm teaching my boys just, hey, a posture of prayer, just holding your hands and receiving God's goodness in this place. And we're looking at all the different Bible stories painted across these ancient cathedrals. And then we went to the Metro that night. And uh, you ever seen pickpocketers? Anyone ever been to a big city or to Europe? Let me see a hand. You know how you can tell a pickpocketer? Zigzags. So if you're in the Metro and you see somebody walking this way and then that way and this way, just maybe tuck them in a little bit. And I was a genius. I kept everything right here, except for this one moment. I'm on my phone. My wife and I are looking up where we're going to eat dinner because it's Paris, incredible food. And my sweet little boy, after a day full of prayer and just basking in God's presence together, he goes, dad, I'm tired. Will you hold me? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a good dad in this moment. Put the phone away, be with my boy. I didn't put my phone in my inner pocket. Put it in the side pocket of my jacket and I bent down to grab my dude. Three seconds, tops. Turned around, gone. And I was not a very joyful follower of Jesus in that moment. <laughs> I threw my son at my wife. I take off running out of the metro. And I've I'm, a, I'm a runner. I'm not usually a fighter. Enraged, like ready to go to, like who violated me and took that? And now I'm like furious. I don't have a phone. I'm running the streets of Paris alone. And my wife's like with our two kids crying, like, where is he going? And, and all of a sudden, I, I mean, I just, it was gone. And I felt this emptiness, and I felt this rage. And I realized, we, we get back to the hotel finally, and I get on my iPad, and I track where the guy is, and I'm trying to figure out, can we get it? And I can still ping him, like I can still ping the sound of my phone. And I stayed up till like three o'clock in the morning, just playing the sound. And he kept turning it off, and I play it, and he turned it off, and he play it. I'm assuming it's a he, I don't know, it could have been a she. But whoever it is, is playing it. And, and my boy comes to me in tears. One, because he thinks it's his fault. Two, because he wants to know, are you gonna be okay, dad? Are you gonna recover from this? And of course, like, I went from like wanting to punch a hole in the hotel wall to, buddy, yeah, like, it's just a phone. It's gonna be fine. Like, I, I miss, like, if anything, 30 pictures from the churches that day or what I'm not gonna have, and I wish I could, but no, buddy, yeah, it's gonna be good. And in that still, small voice, I start thinking about this teaching and how I just butchered it. Because I realized not only did my phone get stolen that night, the source of my joy was taken from me. 
the thing that I found great delight and pleasure in was gone and it crushed me. And I had no, no more contentment. I had no more delight. I had no more pleasure. Why? Because it's my, my, the source of my joy is gone. And what I realized in that moment is some Frenchie stole my phone, but my phone had stolen my joy. That scripture calls this an idol, a created thing that, that we give our affection or go to looking for the source and the sustenance that only God can provide. And I realized in that time, it was the greatest gift that God has done for me in a, in a while. And I got to spend the next, the rest of the trip just present with my wife and my kids away fully enjoying and delighting in what God was doing in and around me. So a parable. Mine was a phone, but I wonder, what, what would be in the center of the circle for you tonight? Is there something in this Advent season that's competing for your delight and your enjoyment other than the ultimate source of joy? And what I'd love to do is, is with this parable in mind of we come in this world and we, we try to find delight in all these good things, I wonder what would it be like tonight if we kind of removed whatever's in the center of that circle and put it to the side and together sought the king of joy himself. You with me? And so what, what I'd love to talk about tonight is cultivating joy, a, a lifetime, not just a one-time choice of like, yeah, I guess rejoice and kind of fake it till you make it happiness. That's not, that's not what the Bible calls it. It's, it's a lifetime journey of cultivating delight and pleasure in the triune God. And I wish I could say, like Paul, that I have great sorrow sitting in a prison cell after being the snot beaten out of him in Corinth. He says, I have deep sorrow, but my joy is always there. Or for David, King David, at the worst moment in his kingship, when he's been exposed to the entire nation as an adulterer and a murderer, you know what he says? May the bones you have crushed rejoice. This Advent, Jesus offers us himself, the, the source of joy. An eternal joy that cannot be taken away from you regardless of the circumstances or mood that you are in. And it's to that king we look to tonight. How you feeling? Excited? Joyful? I don't know. I'm getting like blank stares. How are you feeling? Good, good, thank you. Hey, um, a, a pattern. I love Luke's gospel. I don't know if you like Bible nerd geek out. I think Luke, first off, he, he's not Jewish. Second off, he's a doctor. And so um, he, he has to do a little bit extra work of, of kind of entering into some of the things that's happening in Jesus's life and in his world. And um, Luke is also very meticulous. He says at the beginning of this gospel, I wanna write an orderly account of the life of Christ. He's also very well versed in, in Hellenistic uh, Greek literature. And so he, he's able to, to use a lot of different illustrations. And one thing he does is, is parallelism. And you can start to see it. Once you see it once, you really start to see it all throughout the gospel. And what I'd like to do tonight is just introduce you to one of several times that, that Luke is gonna point to this pattern of a Roman leader, the promised Messiah, wrapped in cloths. First, we have a Roman leader. Notice, Jesus is born at a specific time in a specific place in human history. 
This is not like some false gospels in the early church where Jesus kind of is like this, this mystical figure. Like, no, he, he comes into human suffering and brokenness at a specific place and time. And it was, as, as we read in those days when Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Fascinating, we sang, all hail King Jesus. Do you know what Caesar was asking people to say in that day? All hail King Caesar. Taxation was, was meant to be something that was going to, one, fuel and fund a military war horse, of, uh, like Nick talked about last week, of Pax Romana, Roman peace. It was Rome's way of peace, but by their own accord. And so they wanted to collect all the people in this, this what we call the Roman Empire, we want to collect funds from them so that we can fuel our military power and expand, so that we can continue to build roads to connect and have great economic success, wealth, also so that Caesar can enjoy everything in his palace. These taxes were the thing that, that would be collected so that he could not necessarily give back to the people he's taxing. It was for himself to enjoy. Funny enough, did you know that the, actual, the, the term here for Augustus means exalted? So we have Caesar, the Lord, who is exalted, a Roman leader, and this is how he's ruling in the world. Oppressive, military power, anyone who opposes and does not pay taxes to us will torture, will oppress, will punish, will crucify. All hail King Caesar. But then there's a promised Messiah. Luke points to, uh, first off, notice Bethlehem. This is the town where Micah and many other prophets, they, they promise this is where the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one who's coming, God's chosen leader and king, who's gonna usher in God's kingdom into the world. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem and the line of David. So those two things, for a Jewish reader, they would have picked up on that. They would have gone, oh my goodness, this is a fulfillment of Micah 5. This is the fulfillment of the, the promised Messiah. And I think it's beautiful. Not only is Jesus born at a specific time and place in history, he's born into a world of suffering and a family of hardship. I mean, Joseph and Mary, they're not married at this point. Mary has this baby that, that the Holy Spirit has given her, and she's like a teenage girl. By the way, uh, Nazareth is about 90 miles away from Bethlehem. So I've never had a baby but I'm assuming for some of the ladies who have, nine months into the pregnancy, how we feel about hiking 90 miles? Joyful? Is that something we wanna sign up for? And so Mary and Joseph, like this is not an easy task for them. And there's a lot of great, great scholarship around why did they not just stay in Nazareth? Why did they have to go back to Bethlehem? And, and there's some cool things that God's even orchestrating in there. But ultimately, they, they get to Bethlehem, and where is it that he's born? Is it a royal palace? No. Well, wait a second. Micah said he was going to come in Bethlehem and be through the line of David. Like, we, this is the king who's coming to take out Rome. Like, we're ushering in the God's kingdom with this guy, right? Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the long-awaited Messiah, the Redeemer, the King, not to tax his people, not to oppress them, not to coerce them into following them. He comes to renew and make right a broken and suffering world that all may be well. 
And then Luke goes to the third, wrapped in cloths. Again, not royal robes, not up in a palace, in a trough, a place for feeding animals, out back of some inn in Bethlehem. And imagine, I mean, again, if you're, if you're a first century Jew, if, you, if you're around at this time and you're starting to hear these things, you're probably going like, okay, hang on. You're telling me that, that this family, they're not married and they had a little baby and you're telling me God gave them this baby and this baby's the promised Messiah and they couldn't even get an inn? Like they had to have him born out back in a barn? Yeah, yeah, this is King Jesus. He comes at a specific moment in history. He comes as the promised Messiah and from his first breath, he's humble. So the pattern, a Roman leader pressing and, and, and coming in and, and ruling in the suffering world the way that broken rulers do and then the promised Messiah coming to renew and restore wrapped in cloths placed in a manger. And I love the idea of just Mary and Jesus for the first time seeing each other face to face. I saw, uh, we have a couple of newborn babies in the back. You might hear them peeping a little bit. And just that moment where you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and through pain and through suffering, joy, eye contact with the long-awaited Messiah. And it says Mary stored these things up in her heart. But that's not where Luke ends. He comes then and he goes down. And you have the shepherds we just sang about. And they're out in the field. And an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Joy. And so we have the Roman leader. We have the promised Messiah. We have him wrapped in cloths. Good news. Great joy. And uh, what we see is all across the scriptures is that they're filled with joy. And once you see that pattern, oh my goodness, you can start to see this theme of, of God stepping in and his presence and his good news coming. And uh, joy is used in a couple of different ways in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, um, it's used in 15 different terms. So our one word joy, Hebrew actually has 15 terms. And then in the Greek, we actually have eight terms. The one we most well known and associate in English is kara, say kara. It's where we also get the term grace. So a gift causing us to rejoice, to find great pleasure. Next is, um, you'll see that all throughout the scriptures, joy is actually a perspective. It's a mindset. It's a choice. It's something that, that we step into uh, to embrace whether our circumstances are easy or in the most difficult and hard ones. Uh, here, one of the prayers we do on Friday nights that celebrate recovery is that suffering becomes a pathway peace. See, when we have this perspective of God's presence bringing about good news that brings great joy, whether we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or we feel like we're just on the mountaintop and God, is, his blessings are very tangible. Regardless of our circumstance, this, this joy, this kara is a perspective, a way we see the world. Next is, is it's a gift, it's something that's received. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love and weak. Love and joy, kara, that, that it's the thing that God produces within us, but it's received by trusting him. And it's available always. Next is that it's a practice. It's something that um, Israel, as they walk out of the, the, the Red Sea, 
with Egypt behind them, and the first thing they do is rejoice. Rejoice, and they, they have a celebration. But also, did you know that they have an entire songbook called Psalms of Lament? And what a psalm of lament is, is it's actually a song to let God know this is hard and this hurts and it's frustrating. And I'll rejoice in you. That even a lament, even in in the thick of the most um, dry moments in the desert for Israel, they still had a, a language to cry out to God, but continue to find joy, satisfaction, delight in him. And lastly, it's a relationship. This one, uh, this is cool. Um, that in this, the, the biblical narrative, joy is something that's recognized and experienced where God is present. Delight and pleasure from, from the garden in the beginning to the, the city at the end of the biblical story. Where God's presence is, there's joy. But it's, 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 just, it's in relationship with him that we actually find it. I love this. Um, I didn't know this was a thing until later in life, but did you know that there's actually a, a science called neurotheology where they take neuroscience and mix it with the theology? And there's one in particular, his name's Jim Wilder. He's done a ton of studies on how joy affects the human mind. And this is what he says. He says that God designed our brains to seek joy through eyes and facial expressions. Through being with people who are glad to be with us, joy is primarily transmitted through the face, especially the eyes, and secondarily through the voice. Joy is relational. It happens in relationship. It's what we feel when we are with someone who is happy to be with us. And joy does not exist outside of relationship. And lastly, joy is important to God and us. And Wilder continues to to play out. When you actually dive throughout the scriptures, you begin to see that joy and the face of God go hand in hand. And so you get to the ironic blessing um, where Aaron is, is giving a blessing over God's people. And it says this in number six, may the Lord make his face, the Hebrew there is panim, make his, his face, his eyes, may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And then you come to the Psalms and you see Psalm 16. It says, you make known to me the path of life. You will find me with joy in your presence. Funny enough, that's actually the same word for face. God's face and God's presence in Hebrew are communicating the same thing. That when we come into an encounter, when we come into close contact with with God, we, we have no choice but to rejoice. It's in his face. And then this carries into the New Testament as well, that we fix our eyes on Jesus. What do we fix? Our eyes. Our minds? No, our eyes. With our eyes looking towards Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for joy, there's that term kara, for great delight and great pleasure ruled the, the kingdom of God from the very beginning came in and, and didn't have, everything was super easy for him because he's got in the flesh and, and he's got all these miracles and he can call on angels, whatever he wants. And so he stepped in and, and it was all like happy doodah for him. Who, Jesus, for the pleasure and great delight set before him, entered into suffering and endured a cross. 
And then uh, that pattern, it continues. Because Luke actually uses it again later in his gospel. And this time it's not a manger. It's gonna be a cross. But there's another Roman leader. And uh, his name's Pontius Pilate. He's a Roman governor. And, and they, these, these Jewish leaders who are fed up with this Jesus, come and they bring him to this Roman leader and they say, this man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay what? Uh-oh. To the Roman government. Oh, and by the way, he's claiming he's a king. But if you know the Hebrew scriptures well, you know that it's not just Bethlehem that a savior is born and that the kingdom of God will usher in. You also would know the prophet Isaiah who says that the Messiah is going to be a suffering servant who comes and is pierced for our transgression. And it's near, not a manger, but the cross of Jesus. That Mary, she comes face to face with her boy. And his mother and his sisters were there and the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus did what? He saw. Saw his mother there face to face. And knowing that everything had been finished because this is what the Messiah came to do. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and when he received his drink, Jesus said, it's finished. It's done. The work is done. The suffering servant has been pierced. This is good news of great joy. And there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he hadn't agreed with the decision and the actions of these other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and then he took the body down from a cross. And he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it, not in a manger, but a tomb. that have been carved out of rock. A Roman leader, promised Messiah, wrapped in cloth. Good news of great joy for all people. Because uh, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb and taking spices they had prepared and they, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they, they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Remind me, after Jesus came and was wrapped in cloths, there was a proclamation of an angel, right? And after finding the cloths, they hear from a new angel, this angelic being saying, hey, he's not here. <laughs> he's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, that he would rise again on the third 
day. And uh, the ladies go back to the house where some of Jesus' disciples are, and, and they come and they, they tell them in their grief. It's actually in grieving and in hiding. They come, and Peter runs to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he sees linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. And Jesus comes to the house where his friends are. In those circumstances, confusion, grief, pain, loss. And he wants something to eat. And at first they're terrified and the source of eternal delight says, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me, make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see I do. And as he spoke, he showed him his hands and his feet. And they stood in disbelief, but filled with joy. Uh, how is it that, that you can be filled with disbelief and doubt yet still have delight and pleasure? How can you walk through such painful loss of a loved one and a friend? And then all of, but, but even in the thick of that, that there's joy. See, what this pattern Luke is developing shows us is that, that joy is a hope-filled reality and response to the presence of God, to the soul that is near to God, that, that when we put our hope and our trust, when God's presence and his promises are what our hope in, not in our iPhones, <laughs> not in sex, not in food, not in the marriage, not in everything in our world going perfectly. We, we're outside of Eden, folks. Like, that's not how it works out here. But we have our hope and our peace and him, his presence, and his promises. So with that, we can have a reality, a new mindset that it doesn't matter my circumstances or my mood. I know God is with me and all will be well. And I can rejoice in all circumstances, not because I'm thankful that I'm necessarily going through a painful and hard situation or that death and loss and sin exists in the world. No, 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 no. I can rejoice because even in the midst of those things, I have a God who joins me in them. I have nothing to fear. So it's not in perfect circumstances when everything was going well. But doubt, disbelief, grief, a mix of happy yet confused. It's in that place that the disciples are filled with joy because they're near to Christ. So I get home. And uh, I got a new phone. <laughs> and uh, I get it all signed in and logged in. And, and I'm not going to lie, it actually was really nice not having a phone for like a week. And I'm getting mine back. And I'm like, I don't have any of my passwords because I have like, if you're like me, you have like way too many passwords. Anybody else have that? Where you try to log into something and you're like, oh no, I'm locked out forever. Um, I get back into my phone. And I, I, the first thing I do is I try to download those pictures from that day and uh, that we visited the different churches. And I only got one back, and it was this one. Problem, 
I didn't take this photo. It's not very good, is it? It's kind of like tilted. Like it's not, and the zoom's weird. While we were praying, my boy grabbed my phone and he took this picture. And it's the only photo I got back. <laughs> and uh, I, I asked him, I said, hey, Beck, Beck, hey, what were you thinking when, when, we, when you took this photo, man? What was going on? And every single night before bed, we, we say Psalm 23. And he said, that even though I walked through the valley, <laughs> I got nothing to fear because God's with me. And uh, I don't know what valleys you're walking through tonight. We had three deaths in our body this week. (laughs) The sting of death is very tangible in this family tonight. Dysfunction in the family going into holidays, loss, abuse, addiction. I don't know what your valley is tonight, but what I do know is that God invites you to an everlasting joy with him in that space. Isn't that good news? That the advent of our king, it brings about this eternal joy and it's an invitation for us to choose. See, Nowen articulates it really well. In journaling on his thoughts, he said that joy is essential to the spiritual life because Jesus reveals to us that God's love Uh, Jesus reveals to us God's love so that his joy may become ours and so that our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, not sickness, not failure, not emotional distress, oppression, war, not even death can take that love away from you. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge God loves us. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It's a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take that away from us. A parable. I got a joy thief and you probably do too. Pattern points us to the truth that Jesus is the king and source of joy. If you're cold and in the dark, you get close to a fire. If you're alone and joyless, you get close to the source of it, the light of the world, and a practice. Gary Oliver calls this sovereign joy, that regardless of what circumstances or mood you are in, that now, and not just now, but tomorrow, and not just tomorrow, but the next day, and the next day, and that you could spend a lifetime with a community of followers of Jesus choosing to delight and enjoy God. And Oliver talks about four different ways we can do that. One is just to pause and pray, to set your mind on what's true, set your minds on the things above. Because the circumstances, it just looks really dire and really dark. And by prayer, by pausing and just taking a moment to fix our eyes on Jesus, we begin to see this this trouble, this trial, which he promised we'd have in this world, but he's overcome it, hasn't he? And in, as we pause and we pray, we, we, we give thanks. Close your fists with me if you wouldn't mind, hard. And one thing we can do is we can begin to count our blessings 
when you start to give thanks for the things that God has done in and around you, regardless of the mood or the circumstances, and as you continue to give thanks, you're at a posture to receive. And you hold your hands in that space going, God, I delight and enjoy you. And recall what's true. And we remind ourselves of God's promises and his presence. And so, I don't know about you, but Romans 8 comes to mind so often that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And then we go and we choose to obey. We choose to walk in joy actively throughout the day. Not fake happiness, not lying about our circumstances. Being honest that in and through these things, God is with me. Fellowship Worship um, wrote a song recently called All Will Be Well. Have you seen it? You're about to. What I wanna invite you to do right now is just go ahead and close those fists. And uh, we're gonna go ahead and put this to practice. And I'd love for you to count those blessings in your life, give thanks, and then just come to a posture ready to receive. Fellowship Worship, as well as our graphic team, they've done a beautiful job with this song it just captures really, really well that there's good news and great joy. Would you close your fists and then begin to count your blessings and enjoy some time with God together.
rejoice when things are going really well. And it seems like utter foolishness or insanity to rejoice in darkness unless you know something else is true. Unless you know that even in the darkness there is light. There is a Savior who promises the darkness will not win. So wherever you are, whether you're walking in a season where things are amazing and you can see the hand of God all over your life worth celebrating, we invite you, rejoice. And in your, if you're in a season where things are hard, where you're experiencing deep loss and grief, the good news that Jesus came is that that darkness, that grief is not the end of the story. So even there, we can rejoice. And that is our prayer and our hope for this body as we go forward from this place. We wanna walk with you in community. We wanna join you in prayer now. If anybody would like to pray, if in, in the light or in the darkness, wherever you find yourself, we invite you to come down to the front. We'd love to join you in prayer. We'd like to get to know you um, a little bit more. And for now, Mosaic, we send you out in go, to go in peace, to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks, thanks be, be to God. God.